0: a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and deadstock textiles, Picnicwear strives for minimal waste but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnicwear on Instagram at Picnicwear and that's where W E A R and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things. Always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope ass shit for dope ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple, hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at LatetothePartyPeople. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at Vino.Vintage so you don't miss our next event. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at oldflamemending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpage life and style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at Browse our online store at ThumbprintDetroit.com and find us on Instagram at ThumbprintDetroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy Find us on Instagram at shop underscore Velvet Underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of May, St. Evans is supporting Labor Behind the Label, an anti-sweatshop campaign working to improve conditions and empower workers in the global garment industry. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear_st. Evans. That's where Saint Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl. Or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family friendly record shop in the country. Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast literally tripped over a wire, yes, a wire hidden by some weeds under the hitching post in our backyard. Yes, that's a hitching post for horses and totally banged myself up. It was terrible. To be honest, the only thing that doesn't currently hurt is speaking into this microphone. So I'm just going to run with it. (laughs) I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 85 Today's episode will make you wonder, did everyone have a preppy phase where they looked super put together but felt kind of miserable? Okay, well, maybe you won't be asking yourself that, but you will be meeting Maggie, an actor and style blogger who made some massive changes in the way she approached the influence she had on others and even herself. But first... It's been a while, and I mean a long while, way too long, since I gave an update on the Uyghur Muslims, so let's talk about that for a few. As a reminder, the Uyghurs are Turkic-speaking Muslims, and the largest population live in China's autonomous Xinjiang region, which is in the northwest of the country, and Xinjiang is the largest province in China. For some context, I know this was really helpful for me. Xinjiang is about four times the size of California in terms of square miles, so a massive region. And China annexed Xinjiang in 1949. At that point, the Uyghur Muslims made up 76% of the region's population, and that has been in steady decline since then. The population of Uyghurs living in China is always up for dispute. The Chinese government officially says about 13 million, but Various human rights groups have been saying that that is a vast and intentional undercounting, with the actual number being somewhere between 20 and 30 million. And the Chinese government regards Xinjiang and the Muslim minorities like the Uyghurs as, quote, backward. During the Communist Party's great leap forward from 1958 to 1962, ethnicity and religion, such as that of the Uyghur Muslims, was singled out as both, quote, obstacles to progress and, quote, backwards custom. Brutal crackdowns in the 1980s and 90s led to many, many Uyghurs fleeing China to seek asylum. And in recent years, China has upped the ante, if you will, by beginning to portray the Uyghurs as terrorists who must be detained and, quote, re-educated to become patriotic Chinese citizens. This means giving up their language, their religion, and their customs. Everything they know. It means assimilating to the Chinese culture. For example, in 2019, China released a series of YouTube videos that included interviews with Uyghur men and women who claimed that these so-called re-education camps had improved their lives, making them more beautiful, kind, and intelligent. Yes, those are the real adjectives of those videos. One key focus of these videos is denouncing traditional Muslim practices, for example, describing veils worn over hair or face as, quote, religious extremism, and Muslim religious teachers as, quote, illegal religious personnel. Uyghur women extol the virtues of makeup and hairstyles that would not be permitted their religion. These videos are disturbing propaganda. And what is perhaps the most chilling part of them is that YouTube is banned in China, meaning that the Chinese people who receive tons of anti-Uyghur propaganda on a daily basis from the government-controlled media, these people don't get to watch these videos. They aren't intended for them. They are intended for us. Human rights activists have likened these, these YouTube videos, to Nazi propaganda films. They were created to mislead everyone about the Holocaust. If you're wondering why these propaganda videos are still available on YouTube, well... YouTube was also recently discovered deleting comments critical of the Chinese Communist Party. And YouTube has benefited financially from Chinese state media ads on its platforms. So has Facebook, so has Twitter. There's a lot of money tied up in China. And unfortunately, so many companies are prioritizing profits over people. That's not going to be the first time I say that. The United Nations believe that up to 1.5 million Uyghurs are in internment camps in China. Other organizations believe that that number may be as high as 2 million. It's just really hard to get a clear and solid grasp on the full scope of the situation. That's intentional. But what we do know is that the Uyghur Muslims are being detained in these re-education camps where they're forced to denounce their religion And culture. They are also used as unpaid, meaning forced labor, in a variety of industries in Xinjiang, from agricultural work like cultivating tomatoes and cotton, to working in factories producing textiles, garments, and other goods. And the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, in their report, Uyghurs for Sale, which I cite all the time here and on social media, they learned that many of these workers are being sent across the country, outside of Xinjiang, to work in factories. This labor is unpaid, and these workers are kept under tight surveillance with no freedom of movement. They're ripped away from their families and friends, and they're denied contact with any of their people back in Xinjiang. Adrian Zenz, who is a senior fellow in China studies at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, told NPR last year that this is probably the largest incarceration of an ethno-religious minority since the Holocaust. And he went on to say that now the situation meets the UN's definition of genocide. He said, quote, and this is disturbing, so please prepare yourself here. He said, Stories that are among the most harrowing, of course, are stories of abuse, stories of women being caught by the police, and as they're being brought to the internment camp, the first thing is that they're told, you're going to go on the surgery table, and we're going to put an IUD into your body, because that's standard policy for women who are put into a camp. Other women report forced sterilization, abuse, even accounts of rape. That's that's hard to hear. It's hard to read. Two weeks ago, Amnesty International released a report detailing the systematic, state-organized mass imprisonment, torture, and persecution of the Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities. It also entails the extensive cover-up efforts by the Chinese government. Jonathan Loeb, who's the senior crisis advisor at Amnesty International and the report's lead author, told NPR's All Things Considered, quote, we have concluded that every person, who is sent to an internment camp experiences torture or other ill treatment as a result of the cumulative effects of daily life in the camps. Many of them experienced physical torture during interrogations and punishments during their time in the camp. And these punishments include something called a tiger chair, which Loeb describes as, quote, steel chairs where your hands and your feet are affixed to the chair and you're completely immobilized. I know that this is all difficult to hear. It's hard for me to say it out loud. But we have to. We have no option here. We cannot ignore this. We cannot pretend that this is not happening. Because the world must know about this. And we, we must understand why it is important for us to care about this. We have to tell others about this. And we need to push both companies and the government to do something about it. Okay, well, I'm about to make a transition that seems random, but I promise it makes sense. Polysilicon is a hyper-pure form of silicon, and it is the Earth's second most abundant element. Yes, we're having a science lesson right now. And it's a key component of solar panel technology. And we know we need more solar energy in the world if we're going to fight climate change. Here's an intersection of so many things we care about all at once. 45% of the world's polysilicon comes from Xinjiang. Yep, we've talked about how the apparel industry and its cotton fabrics and clothing are all in one way or another involving Uyghur forced labor, and now we're going to talk about solar panels, because I cannot emphasize enough the size of Xinjiang, the sheer volume of agriculture and manufacturing happening there. And it involves so many things that we take for gra- granted. Yes, t-shirts. Yes, lyocell dresses. And yes, solar panels. Just a few days ago, the White House announced steps to crack down on forced labor in the supply chain for solar panels from Xinjiang, including a ban on imports from a silicon producer there. U.S. Customs and Border Protection banned imports of silica-based products made by a company called Hoshin Silicon Industry Company, as well as any other goods using those materials from that company. I compare it to the Uniqlo t shirts that were confiscated by USCBP in January. While Uniqlo said they weren't manufactured using forced labor, there was no proof that the cotton fabric wasn't made using forced labor. So, USCBP is taking the same stance on these silicon materials and goods. Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Homeland Security Secretary, said at a news conference that the agency, quote, has information reasonably indicating that Hoshin uses forced labor to produce its silica-based products. Mayorkas also addressed the elephant in the room at the press conference. That figurative elephant, he wasn't really there, I promise, carrying a huge sign that screamed, we need solar technology to fight climate change. He said, quote, our environmental goals will not be achieved on the backs of human beings in a forced labor environment. And I I liked hearing this because sometimes the exploitation of humans is sort of seen as, I don't know, collateral damage, unfortunate but necessary, in order to achieve environmental action. And I, I don't feel that way. If we think about all of the issues we care about, from the environment to social justice and everything in between there. That's such a wild spectrum. They're all intersecting all the time, and we can't just pick one issue and run with it. So I'm glad to see the United States saying, hey, listen, we're really stressed about climate change, and we're working hard to change that. Well, not to change our stress about climate change, but to change climate change. There you go. But we also care about human rights, and we won't sacrifice human rights to achieve that. And I I just liked hearing that. The U.S. Commerce Department also added four other Chinese companies to a blacklist, meaning they're not going to be allowed to import goods here, based on credible evidence of forced labor. And then the U.S. Labor Department added Chinese polysilicon to a list of goods believed to be produced by child labor or forced labor. And by the way, this list is searchable, filterable, available to all of us. You can search by country, you can search by product, you can search by the type like forced labor or child labor. I'll share a link in the show notes because it's a wild rabbit hole worth exploring as we you know, educate ourselves. Do you wanna hear some other types of items that the US Labor Department suspects of involving forced labor in China? artificial flowers, Christmas decorations, bricks, fireworks, wigs, toys, gloves, nails, thread and yarn, fish, tomato products, and of course, clothing, shoes, and accessories. Let's talk about shoes for a minute, like literally a minute. (laughs) You all know that I am not a fan of Nike. In fact, I would say that I'm the opposite of a fan and anti-fan. In previous episodes, we've talked about the very clear chain of evidence that the Australian Strategic Policy Initiative uncovered regarding Nike's use of a factory in China that has been manufacturing millions of pairs of shoes for the American brand each year for at least a decade. And for that entire period, if... The Chinese state media is to be believed that factory has been using, quote, graduates of the country's Uyghur re-education camps, meaning forced labor of Uyghurs. Nike denies this, but the chain of evidence is pretty clear. And to be honest, it's really difficult for any brand, no matter what they say, To be 100% certain that their supply chain is free of forced labor. Because, as we talk about here a lot, brands don't have enough transparency into who is making their stuff. They might give the order to one factory and it could be subcontracted out to any number of factories. And these same brands often have very little to know transparency into who is making their raw materials and how they're made. For more details about Nike and the Uyghurs, there's a lot, go back and listen to episode 65 of this show. Well, this week, Nike had a call to discuss its latest earnings report, and Chief Executive John Donahoe said, quote, we're confident about what we're seeing in China as we drive long-term growth and we have a long-term view about China. He went on to say, we've been in China for over 40 years. We invested significant time and energy in China in the early days and today we're the largest sport brand there and we're a brand of China and for China. A lot of critics including, I can't believe I'm going to say this, hope i never have to mention this name again on this podcast ted cruz they're saying pretty much um so nike is cool with the whole china forced labor imprisonment torture thing but real talk nike is not a company that has ever prioritized people over profits so why would they endanger their nearly 2 billion dollars in sales that they did in china last year alone. And Nike has lobbied against previous U.S. legislation banning products manufactured using Uyghur forced labor. Nike does not have a good record here. Nike does care about China, but not in the same way that you and I do. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, people love Nike. It is one of the most trusted millennial brands. I read this time and time again, and I want to know why. Because Nike's track record goes back decades. It's time for us to break up with Nike and tweet at them, comment on their social media, and even send them some emails and snail mail. If I still lived in Portland... I would be outside their campus in Beaverton protesting right now, even though I know it is like 100 degrees there. That is not an exaggeration. I would figure out a way to make it work. In fact, if some of you who live out there want to organize something, please let me know and I'll help you out because this is important to me. I think it's time more and more people know about Nike. Now, for all of you Americans who don't live in Portland, I have a project for you. Earlier in June, the U.S. Senate passed the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, USICA, which proposes significant changes to science and technology policy with an eye to U.S. and China policy. That's a lot of stuff. It's complicated. It involves a lot of intellectual property and other issues that the U.S. has had with China. The bill also contains many of the policy recommendations from Human Rights Watch regarding international responses to China and its genocide of the Uyghur people. However, this bill, it's a start, but it can and it should go further in protecting human rights in China. That's where we come in. We need to advocate for inclusion of the main provisions of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, by the way. That was the legislation that Nike was lobbying against along with Coca-Cola, and we also want this act to include the main provisions of the Hong Kong Safe Harbor Act. This means that we need to reach out to our representatives to express how important this is to us, the constituents, the people who vote for them. (laughs) It can be as simple as calling, emailing, or tweeting, maybe all three, to say, hey, I'm reaching out to you regarding the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, USICA, which has recently passed the Senate with bipartisan support. It's a great start, but it must include the main provisions of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act and the Hong Kong Safe Harbor Act. We can and must go further to end the genocide of the Uyghur people and other Muslim minorities. And don't worry, I will share that text for you in the show notes. I've heard that calling is the best strategy. It's up to you. I have a lot of anxiety about calling people on the phone. I understand if you do too, but let's just go hard on this. Let's get our friends in on it. I am going to do an Instagram post sharing all of this as well so you can share it with the other people in your network. I know that what's happening to the Uyghurs feels like it is a zillion miles away, that it has no impact on us, that we are just tiny mosquitoes in the grand scheme of things So how can we make a difference? Well, I will counter with this. One mosquito bite, it's annoying, right? But 100 or 1,000 mosquito bites are a game changer. Trust me, I had a nightmare camping trip as a kid where I ended up with 103 mosquito bites. Yeah, of course I counted them. And it made me rethink a lot of things about my life and my experiences in nature. But I'll say this. Collective action, which is the term that refers to the action taken together by a group of people whose goal is to enhance their condition and achieve a common objective. That's what we have here. We have a common objective. Collective action can have a major impact when all of us work together. We can make a difference. I always say that we're all influencers, and I truly believe that. Our actions, our experience, and our knowledge can motivate other people when they see us in action. So this is a great way we can activate the other people in our lives to understand and care about something major that is happening on the other side of the planet.
1: Hello, it's Carrie, Executive Editor of CloseHorse.World. Coming up this week on the blog, we're rounding out this month's focus on personal style with a mix of posts from our community and team. On Monday, June 28th, Anna, one of our editorial residents and proud outfit repeater, shares with us how she styles her favorite vintage Valentino blouse three different ways. Anna describes her style as a mix of romantic vampire and dark academia and I love seeing how this one blouse sparks her imagination and elevates so many everyday outfits. Well done, Anna. On Tuesday, June 29th, Sarah, a fashion history scholar who has worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and for the Calvin Klein Archives, talks about how the pandemic gave her a chance to truly disconnect from the stress of dressing to fit into various status-conscious professional circles. Her essay is a classic tale of turning a passion into a profession and how she lost and found a sense of play that she used to feel when getting dressed. I think many of us can relate. On Wednesday, June 30th, MP, founder of Ungarbage magazine and regular guest on the pod, offers another take on reevaluating one's relationship to fashion. MP talks about how she deliberately cultivated a unique sense of style to garner approval and credibility in her creative fields. But in the past year or so, MP has decided that she does not want her clothes to speak for her. Check out her new approach, a pared down anti-fashion uniform. A big thank you to everyone who has contributed to the blog so far. Each of you provides a singular perspective on the strangeness of this past year in isolation and how it has offered us a chance to reset our values and approach to getting dressed. I hope that our listeners take a moment to peruse the blog. It is an excellent time capsule of where our heads are in this transitional moment.
0: Speaking of our influence on others, it's time for you to meet Maggie. Earlier this month, she wrote a piece for World called Blogger Burnout, where she said, I lost myself chasing the A list style blogger dream. I love this essay so much that I immediately reached out to her to discuss it. I'll be sharing a link to that in the show notes, so maybe you want to pause right now and go read it. But let's just jump right into our conversation. Maggie, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi.
2: Yeah, my name is Maggie O'Gara. I... um. I'm um, an actor and I also run like an Etsy shop that I have. I sell like vintage stuff and I've been making stuff more recently too. So I do like upcycled things that I find like materials, um, getting really into like t-shirts, redoing stuff. Cause there's just, I mean, you know, there's just so many t-shirts out there.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I definitely, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I wear a t-shirt every day of my life. I love them. So try to find like a new life for those is what I've been doing this summer particularly. But, um, yeah, I live, uh, currently in displaced thanks to the pandemic. I am back living at home with my parents. Uh, we're from the St. Louis area. I'm, um, across the river, across the Mississippi in Belleville, Illinois. So I grew up, this is my hometown. So just back, back home. <laughs>
0: So many people are. I do want to say that I think you posted this today or yesterday. Of course, by the time this episode comes out, it will be like weeks in the past, but <laughs> you posted like clothes that you'd made out of t shirts that look like or maybe actually were from Limited 2. And I got really excited.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. I, well, I was also like, I was listening to that um, Patreon that you had with Dylan, uh, Dylan Page about how she used to work there and I was like, oh my gosh, I loved Limited too and I just like was like, what if I made a dress out of all these old t-shirts <laughs> because I know they're out there. They are very hard to find though so I'm, uh, my heart breaks a little bit thinking that a lot of them are in the landfills right now. I know.
0: It's so sad but I salvaged some. Well, that's good. I will say I went to a yard sale out here like last week, you know. So I'm really into yard sailing. and mm-hmm. I feel like yard sales kind of come in two categories. One that is like mostly children's clothes and like other you know toys and other all the accoutrement that you need for a child.
1: And those right. aren't very
0: useful to us, um, so I don't generally look at them. And then there's the other one where it's like all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, I usually don't either. Right, right. I like we like drive by slowly, yeah. and I'm like, nope, nope. I see too many walkers nope. and whatnot. Um, but. <laughs> uh, like child walkers, not like adult walkers, you know, with all oh. the plastic stuff on it with like the toys and you like oh, you know, yeah. bounce in them. Anyway. Um, right. So one of them, though, had the most epic amount of limited to Justice clothing. Oh. And I was like, I don't have any use for this, but I will keep my eye out for you now. Now that I know, I have oh a mission. But I was like, wow, the little girls that lived in this house <laughs> were like – a, a dream. That's insane. They were living my dream, living it up.
2: <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I only had a few that I wore over and over again. Because my mom wouldn't let me like, she wouldn't shell out her own money for limited two. She would only ever buy stuff that would last and stuff that we needed. Um, mm-hmm. So I would always get like limited two gift cards for Christmas and birthdays, and then I would go and spend my money on that. But then my mom would teach me, be like, okay, well, you know, buy the stuff on sale because then you can get. More things, and then, like, from you know, the clearance rack or whatever. So, she kind of taught me how to be s- shop the clearance rack, be thrifty, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think it really stems from her. <laughs> so, really stretch that, stretch those limited two bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Get more graphic tees.
0: <laughs> you recently wrote an essay for CloseHorse.World, and I you know, I have to, I read everything before it goes live and, you know, sign off on it. And I was so excited when I read your essay that I immediately messaged you on Instagram and, and was like, will you please come on the podcast so we can talk about it? Because I have so many questions and I think it's going to be really interesting for a lot of people who are listening. That's so nice. <laughs> well, you did an amazing job. And it's Thank such you. a great story of like transformation that I think a lot of us are going through right now, no matter mm-hmm. what our... Relationship with social media or fashion is. And so you in college became a style blogger. Like Mm -hmm. you decided to do that, right? So why don't you tell me a little bit about what that was like at that time?
2: Yeah. um, Let's see. It was 2014. This is like seven years ago. Um, I was a junior in college. uh, And I was just like kind of looking for something to do creatively. I wasn't like quite getting as much out of my creativity and my um, schooling that I wanted. I went to school for acting. So I wasn't really feeling like I got enough from that. So I just like one Friday night, I wasn't doing anything. Um, And I was like, oh, I, I, I was just kind of like thinking about it for a little bit. I'm like, this would be kind of fun. And cool you know I've been seeing other people do it it seems pretty fun I don't know so I yeah yeah. I mean it does seem fun right (laughs) yeah it seems fun it's but it you know (laughs) when you get into it um especially as you keep going it's a lot of work so you I think that's kind of where I got lost along the way um uh, but that's uh that's later on in my story (laughs) when I started I started oh what was it Blogger was with through Google like your Gmail account.
0: Oh my gosh, you are you are taking me yeah. back. I totally <laughs> had a Blogger account.
2: I just started it like with my Well actually I guess I started a new Gmail account to go with it. Um so I was in college. I went to college in Oklahoma. So it wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like a weird place. I've only been back once since I graduated, if that tells you anything. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a really cool place. And I went to school in Tulsa, which is like the hipster city of the state, I would say. It's like the cool art. scene. Oh, I've
0: heard things. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've heard things. Yeah, like actually one of Dustin's friends, Dustin, my husband, one of his friends from Portland has been talking about moving there, kind of delayed – the move because of the pandemic, yeah, yes. but how it's like this really up and coming cool place, yeah. Um, and there's like a lot of opportunities there. Um, so I definitely ha- want to go visit Tulsa, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Check it, it out, was you know. Very cool. Like it, I, I was, I really enjoyed like having it as the city that I went to for school. Um, I was like, wow, I'm very much ready to leave once I graduate, though. So that's what I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like kind of southern but then again like I said it's kind of like a hip kind of town so like there's mm-hmm. a really cool art and there's a lot of a really big like music scene there so like there's tons of cool coffee shops and stuff um so it's kind of a mix but I kind of mm-hmm. fell into well I guess this is probably what started like stemmed preppy for me my like Lineage, I guess. I don't know what
0: to Uh, I like that. I like that. Your preppy lineage. It just kind of like
2: after the article came out, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, this led to – the even going back from like when I was like little because I've always loved like clothes and style and fashion and stuff. I was like, oh, we've come like full circle now. So like this is like I guess 180 in my lineage circle. And then I'm back around I think to – full circle now (laughs) but going back 180 I would say um I was in a sorority for the first two years of school there um it was like you know just like one of the things to do um and Mm -hmm. I'm a very social person I was like oh this is like a cool way to meet people um right but then I ended up quitting after my sophomore year just because there was some housing issues they basically wouldn't let me move out of the house and I had signed a contract saying that I could do that um but that's like Mm. I don't really I don't even remember the specifics at this point but and this is not about my sorority life (laughs) because it was it's just (laughs) a very short blip in my life um and it was fun but yeah there was a, a thing when you sign on and join the sorority that You can live, they can essentially make you stay in the sorority house, like live there for all four years of your school. You have to get approval to move out. Mm, And I didn't get approval. And I was like, okay, well, I'm having health issues. Like, and this is just really bad for my physical mental health. I can't live here anymore. I'm so sorry. I have to quit. So (laughs) I had to quit essentially. Um, And it was like, it was a hard decision, but I think that's kind of where my college style came from preppy wise. Like this was at the height. So I started college in 2012. This was when, I don't know if I'm sure everyone across the country has different, um, you know, there's different trends and stuff, but in this sort of world, like Southern sorority, it was like preppy kind of was coming, having a resurgence. It was also, um, like Lily Pulitzer was starting to get really big. I remember buying my first
0: um, oh my god Pulitzer dress. Yeah,
2: then on sale at Dillard's. <laughs> um, I still have it. It doesn't fit me anymore, but I can't. I just it's so pretty. I can't get rid of it. Um, <laughs> um. I
0: mean, there's some good prints there. there
2: are. That one was a good one too. The uh, that's the only thing I have left from that. Uh. Time <laughs> my style, <laughs> my closet at the time, and then like in college, I think again, this is like 2012, so I was really starting to get into like the fast fashion, and now I had like mm-hmm. a little extra money, so we would go to Forever 21 and like you know the mall, and I was just like, oh my gosh, free reign! I have this is the first time I've like been able to just shop. How I want. And I kind of like went over. Went oh over my Lord.
0: gosh. I know this feeling. <laughs> yeah. I know this feeling so well. Like <laughs> I had been hearing about Forever Twenty One. Um, when like there was one in Portland and I'd been hearing about it, but I'd never been there. And people were always like getting tons of tons of clothes yeah. there. And I was like, what is this forever twenty one store? And I went in and I was like, Oh Whoa. my God, you're telling me I can buy anything I want. <laughs> I can afford everything here. And I definitely went insane. Yeah. Yeah. You I know? loved it. I had it
2: like we had those like in high school and stuff, but I didn't start to have like extra money to spend until college. So then I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. I can actually buy a lot more of this stuff that I see. There's so much. Like like you said, it's just
0: You know, your eyes are just, like, lapping it all up. I mean, I can see how fast fashion got out of hand because when it first sort of arrived in my life, it was so unlike anything I'd ever experienced before that I, like, had to go wild with Mm -hmm. it, you
2: know? Yeah. Yeah, I was too. And, well, because, like like I said, my mom was always very particular about kind of what kind of clothes she would buy us. She didn't want us to Mm – you know, overconsume, obviously. Um, and she didn't want us to have like too many clothes, which is why, like, she would only buy us certain things, or like, I would use my own money or own like limited two gift cards to get my t shirts and my, you know, pants or whatever I would buy at limited two. And like, you know, other stores too. I was like a kid of the 2000s, so it was a linear succession from limited two to Abercrombie Hollister. American Eagle oh, yeah. Forever 21. That's kind of
0: my trajectory. <laughs> I guarantee a lot of people are hearing this and they're like, yep, <laughs> yep, totally. It's like a very
2: specific thing growing up in the 2000s because I started school, like kindergarten, in 99. So I was basically in school all through the 2000s, like growing up, like as a kid.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Mm-hmm. You know, as much as it's like, I'm a 90s kid. I don't remember most of the 90s. I remember probably 97 through 99, like, and I was like a toddler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You're an odds kid, yeah. you know. This Y2K, <laughs> this, like,
2: Y2K resurgence is just, oh, my God, I
0: love it. Oh, my God, it's it's so weird for me because, like, I was like actively like an adult, right? And I'm like, whoa, this is too weird. Like, I I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like as an adult,
2: you had kind of, like I had like the fun like glitter and limited too. And I feel like adults had to wear like low rise jeans and belly tops. And I just like no, that I, that can stay behind.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I think that's the part that really uh. It bums me out. Is I just don't want low rise jeans. I have so many memories of like <laughs> literally riding my bike in low rise jeans with my butt cap- crack most definitely hanging out, and it raining oh, and my butt getting wet because <laughs> of low rise jeans. Oh, <laughs> I, it, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this come, to come back. Oh, I refuse. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you're in college, and Mm -hmm. you're, like, suddenly you're, like, oh, my God, fast fashion is here, and I can afford it, Mm -hmm. and I have money, and so what happened next?
2: It was, like, buying a lot of stuff for a lot of different things, too. Like, it was the first time in my life that I was really, like, going out,
0: and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, going
2: out to parties and stuff like that, like, and you had to wear, like, going out attire, and I didn't ever Mm -hmm. have anything like that, because – I didn't really party much in high school. So like, what was I supposed to wear? My casual day wear is like apparently not good enough or like, you know, I'm more of a, I know you are too, right? More of a dress and a skirt person. Um, Yes. You just like, it was just like, you can't, I wore them sometimes, but it's like, that's what I would wear. That's like my going out kind of wear. That's what I like to wear. But it's like, how am I supposed to wear this to a party or a frat house? One false move and your skirt's up yeah you're showing stuff you didn't want to
0: that's that's no good it's interesting you think about going out clothes because I mean think about how much clothing we all bought just yeah. for quote going out myself included like mm-hmm. I would go home from work and change into my going out clothes you know what I mean and like going out clothes didn't get worn to work or anything else like in the daytime oh no, they didn't get worn anywhere else also. This just goes back to one of those things that I hate, which is like that idea that you have to have a new outfit for our Instagram. Uh, that was even before Instagram, yeah. that was a thing. You would need a new outfit Ugh. to go out every weekend. And I would reach this point where yeah. I would like look in my closet and there was just so much going out clothes in there that like had no use to them. Like so many like silky camis and stuff like
2: that you know (laughs) yeah I had this one with like sequins oh I can picture it (laughs) why why did you do that
0: I I actually I had two I had one from American Eagle and I had one from Express wow (laughs) yeah I had a lot of those oh so many so many going out camis I mean that was the thing we would talk about it at work like going out camis are a big business opportunity you know (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. That's so funny. Or just the idea of like that going out top, you know, like we were t- do you remember like one shoulder, oh. for example, that's a going out top. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think, wow, I feel like I need to do like a poll <laughs> on Instagram, like how, who bought a ton of clothes just for going out, you know, because I think that's really something I haven't thought about <laughs> until now, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah, because,
2: I mean, I haven't done that since college. Like, I would go out, but it would be, like, you know, after something, or, like, I would take, like, improv classes in Chicago, and there would be the bar right there. So you would just go after class. You wouldn't be like, oh, let me go home yeah, and change. And take change? an hour to get ready. Got to put on my cami. Yeah I, <laughs> yeah, I would never take an hour. I would always just, like, I'm not a big makeup person, so I would just swipe some stuff on. I'm like, okay, I'm ready, and then just, like, sit and watch my friends spend like 40 minutes doing their hair and makeup. <laughs> I was like, all right.
0: <laughs> yep, Everyone, yep. Has, you
2: know what? You do you. I, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's very much not me. I think I might go take a nap before we go out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely was the person who was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to put on more makeup. I'm going to do something with my hair that's not going to make it look any different, (laughs) but it's going to make me feel like I did something. Um, So I feel like that's probably the point. There is definitely a period where if someone asked me to go out right after work, I couldn't handle the anxiety of it. (laughs) You know, like I wouldn't feel – Prepared. I mean, I'm not that way that's now, so but definitely had a time with that. I feel like, like I'm the
2: opposite way. People are like, "Okay, we'll meet here, and then we'll go home." And I'm like, "No, no, we have to go now, or else I will
0: not be there. I,
2: <laughs> I can't like, I can't like go home and then be expected to come back out.
0: Like, that's not going to happen." Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> For a lot of people, that is tough. I, I get that, and I've also over the years gone home to change, and then the person I was supposed to meet is like, "Never mind, I'm tired now," and I'm like, "Gosh darn oh. it, yeah." So I. I have uh, gambled too hard with the uh, going home to change. So, okay. So you're buying all these clothes though. And like is this when you decide you're going to like start a style blog? Like what what really propelled that decision? Was it like after you were in the sorority or during it? Yeah, it
2: was after. So okay, I would say like – um, the, uh, like freshman and sophomore year is kind of when I was, I would say freshman year, especially cause it was, it's, you know, the first time you're out on your own and you, I just kind of got really excited and bought a lot of clothes that I didn't need. Um, and then I think sophomore year, I kind of slowed down and started to be like, okay, well, like, you know, what do I like? What do I actually need and wear? Cause like I was that, that school year in particular is very, um, Busy and I was doing a lot of like a dance show at the time. So I was either wearing active wear to class and like, cause you know, you go to class to rehearsal to whatever, you're just so busy. So I just stay in my dance attire all day. (laughs) And then I guess going out stuff for the weekend. Um, And I feel like sophomore year, I kind of started like, like I said, started to kind of go away from, the fast fashion so intensely. I mean, he still obviously shopped it, but it wasn't like I wasn't buying stuff all the time like I was my first year. And then I started to kind of get more into like preppy stuff at the time. I should also say, I do come from like not a preppy background, but I went to Catholic school my whole mm. life. So it's like polos and plaid. So it, it was just like a natural thing to fall into because I wore it every day for. You know, like twelve years. So Yeah. And you know, a lot of a lot of
0: kids that go to those schools are preppy too. So Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it makes sense. It's like it you are exposed to it every day and it's just in there. I think it had kind of like a
2: resurgence and it kind of peaked while I was in college. But I remember buying my first pair of Sperry's. At Journeys in the mall. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like so they were obviously I don't know popular mainstream whatever you want to
0: call it. I don't know. I think it definitely had had a time. I remember even like Forever Twenty One tried to start their own sort of like prepier kind of offshoot called it was called like Heritage Eighty Four oh, yeah. or something like that. That's not the right name. It was Heritage something. Um, And it was definitely their play on trying to be, like, a combination of, like, American Eagle, Abercrombie, and maybe a little bit of, like, Mm -hmm. J. Crew, And it had a totally different (laughs) vibe than their regular store, right? Like, it didn't have any, like, going out clothes or anything. I don't know what ever happened to it. I guess it just – that trend passed and then it didn't make sense. Yeah. It must not have cut on.
2: Yeah. Like, why – I don't know. Why would you buy that unless – like, that kind of stuff there when you can buy it at – you know, like you said, American Eagle or J. Crew or Abercrombie. Yeah. And it's probably on sale, you know, and it's probably a little bit better. I mean, they're all about the same, but
0: (laughs) now they are quality wise.
2: (laughs) It might've been, I feel like it was probably different back then. I think it was not too much. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I can see, I think it was better back then. I remember around that time I had a coworker who was like, honestly the best jeans ever come from Abercrombie. And I was like, really? I've literally never been in an Abercrombie store. Like, let's go to the mall and check it out. And so we did. We drove all the way to the mall and I tried on the jeans and I bought them. Actually, it's the only thing I've ever bought from Abercrombie. And I was like, wow, these jeans are so nice. You know, I
2: could never get any. of Like I tried them on there and Hollister and they never fit me right. I was like, wow, I guess I'm not meant for this life. Like I I just I've never liked
0: jeans. (laughs) Oh, me neither. Me
2: neither. (laughs) I think my my hips and my butt were always too big and they still are for like certain pants and stuff. It's just oh, it's so frustrating. I I liked um, American Eagle. That's where I got my jeans from. If only I could have fit in the
0: Abercrombie, I would have bought them. They were weird. I mean, I'm (laughs) going to tell you that they were at least a foot too long for me. Yeah, they were really long, weren't they? They were for someone who was like six feet tall. Like, because I'm five six. Like, I'm not short. I'm just like average, and they were like a foot too long on me. But they did, if I like laid down and zipped them up, they fit, and then they like stretched to accommodate my butt, like in a couple hours. But it was, Mm -hmm. it was definitely. Weird. Once they stretched, they looked really good. Um but yeah. I, I guess what just surprised me because like at that point every other retailer out there was starting to go really hard into stretchy jeans. Like that, because it was like the skinny mm-hmm. jean era. And that was the time, these were yeah. like rigid. So it was like a novelty almost. It felt premium <laughs> to not buy jeggings.
1: They did
2: feel they did feel really nice. Yeah. That's why I think I was always disappointed too. And like at that time too, it was all about the um little stitching that was on the po- back butt pockets, mm-hmm. and like you know, you were cooler if you had the little Abercrombie double <laughs> swoop, thing. yeah. What a or time. the Hollister thing, uh, and like I always had American Eagle, which was like the swipe thing, yeah. Little check mark not as cool, but they were <laughs> they were comfortable, so <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I remember there was a lot of. Even where I worked, there was a lot of hemming and hawing and fretting about pocket stitching. W- what a weird time. <laughs> like, why
2: was I so obsessed with my status being – I know. I know. Revolving
0: around jean butt pockets. That is the world we live in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, what a time. <laughs> so your blog when you started it, it's interesting because I we posted a photo on Instagram of you like in your – original style blog days and now the new, the new updated. Oh my God. That was like one of my first posts. It's amazing though, because someone commented, wow, it's like she came to life. And that really, oh. that moved me because I was like, you're right. You can see that. Like now you are being so true to yourself. Right. But back then you were definitely doing this preppier, yeah. not as like colorful style And it—I gotta
2: go read the comments. Yeah, so
0: nice, right? It looks and it does. It looks like you're wearing someone else's clothes. Like based on my knowledge of you on social media, (laughs) it, it feels it feels artificial. So tell me, did it at the time? Did it feel right to you to be dressing that way?
2: I think, and I this is kind of I feel like a theme that I have throughout my whole life that I just kind of do to myself. I think that that is like what I am meant to do or what like I think I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what I should, so that's it. That this is it. This is so like, it's like a faux authenticity. Like I'm not being fake, but I'm convincing myself that this is what I should, what I want to be or what Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, do, wear, whatever, instead of like, kind of realizing who I actually am. And I think that's kind of, you know, a theme throughout young adult life in general, or like, especially, you know, if you go to college when you're around that age, you're kind of trying to figure yourself out. And that's, you know, mine just happened to be uh, attached to the blog and my style. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so, it, you know, my style was just so, I, I, I think that's true about a lot of people. It's just so intrinsically linked to who, you are as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. It's very personal. And I, I can definitely, I can say, like, for example, wearing jeans, right? I just like do not like wearing jeans. No. I don't feel comfortable. And I don't know, I feel like it like restrains my movements or something. Yes. I can't explain
2: I, it. Okay, no, because you don't even have to, because that is exactly how I feel, and no one else ever understands, really. But <laughs> well, I understand I you, and I don't know if it's like because I have always danced and been a, like been very, you know, fidgety and movementy. So like, if something's like tight or restricting, it's very uncomfortable for me. I was actually talking about this with my mom earlier. Um, I didn't wear pants until probably, like, first or second grade, like, I was seven or eight. Because um, mm-hmm. I didn't like them then. I don't like them now. I remember, like, I the only time I had to wear shorts was kind of, like, my foray into wearing pants and, like, bottoms like that because I had to wear them under my uniform for PE mm-hmm. day at school. And then I started having to wear them when I started to play soccer. But right. I remember before that, <laughs> I – I remember this one time I was like trying some on that my mom had bought for me and I was crying. I was like, I just like, I want these to be comfortable, but they they just feel so wrong. And it's just like, can you imagine (laughs) just a little four-year-old just freaking out about not being able to wear shorts? Like, it's just, I think that's a quintessential story
0: to recap who I am. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no totally I and I feel like I would always feel this pressure to wear jeans because like they were on trend or it was like cool and like it implied this aesthetic that I wanted to be associated with but I never felt like myself when you don't want to look different ever either right right and when I finally was like I actually just like don't like jeans and I'm not going to pretend anymore and just Mm -hmm. exclusively started wearing dresses. I feel like it was when I like really began to just like be myself. And I think that's a journey for a lot of people. And I think Mm -hmm. it takes some people longer than others, right? Yeah. I think everyone's journey is different. Right. And I think it leads to us buying a lot of stuff that we don't love because we're trying to be this other thing and ultimately that stuff moves in and out of our lives a lot faster and like we Mm -hmm. buy more and more of it because we still are just like we haven't found that thing that makes us feel like our best selves and that's because we aren't letting ourselves kind of. I don't know. This is like an experience I've definitely had and it took me a while to figure it out and there would still be times where like, I remember I was seeing this guy and he was always like, I just don't feel like – you really like me because you never dress sexy. And I was like, I know. Well, first off that (laughs) literally makes no sense at all. Right. I don't dress for you. It's so rude. (laughs) Yeah. And what would that have to do with me liking you? How about how I like make you dinner and come visit you at work and hang out with you and say nice things to you and stuff? You know what I mean? Like what? I cut your hair. Yeah. Not what I put on my body. I know. (laughs) I know. But that really like, I mean, uh, part of my friendship, but that kind of fucked with me where I was like, "Whoa, am I sending these messages with all my like flowing kimonos and caftans and whatnot that I'm (laughs) like, asexual like not a sexual person or like I'm unsexy. I
2: thought about that too like now that I'm wearing things that I actually want to wear they're not necessarily like sexy or I don't know what another a similar word would be for that like Appealing. I don't know. That sounds kind of lame compared to that. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, this is like, you know, not exactly cute, you know, but then it's like, I don't need a dress for people. And then you go back and forth in your head like that. And then it's like, well, I've actually gone to, like, I remember this one time in college, like, I went out in like a t shirt and shorts and got hit on. So it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you wear.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I remember one time having a stomach flu, like, being really sick with it and being like, well, I have to go to the store and get some like coconut water and some crackers or something. And like, I don't have <laughs> anyone to do it for me. So I just have to do it. And I oh, literally, that's the worst. I, hate I know, I know. I uh, literally went in my like, Pajama pants and a t-shirt. I probably smelled like puke. I looked terrible. I was actually having anxiety about it because I was like, what if I run into someone at the grocery store and I got a car to go and drove over and in the grocery store in the frozen food aisle. I mean, I looked like garbage. I'd literally been vomiting like an hour before. (laughs) Some guy was like, hey. Like, oh. do you have a boyfriend? And I was just like, are you kidding me? Oh, like, no. So, really, what I'm saying is, like, it doesn't matter what you're wearing if you're worried about being appealing to others, because, like, you are. But that societal norms, like, stuck yeah. in your head. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. Just like, oh, oh caught that. Oof. And I would find myself like that would get into my head. And then I would be like, should I change the way I dress? Should I change who I am? And I think mm-hmm. we all are kind of constantly grappling with that, even when you're like, I definitely know who I am. So if someone who's important to you, who matters to you, says something like that to you, like questions, like, I don't know, like why would what I'm wearing yeah. indicate whether or not I'm attracted to you? That is some like bizarre thinking anyway. But if someone who is important to you says anything to you that kind of throws your style into question, it can send you down this weird shopaholic rabbit hole where suddenly you're buying all this weird stuff that you don't like anyway and I think you know it's hard to like move beyond that sometimes you know what I mean yeah
2: yeah and I feel like that's what I definitely did in college like buying stuff for things that I didn't necessarily care about (laughs) yeah or like I like I liked going out but I like again like I didn't need to feel the certain way but like you know when you're with your friends that you know they're all wearing those things so you just kind of feel sort of like i don't know dumpy or gross or whatever next to them yeah. so it's just i don't know it was just kind of yeah. i don't really like miss that <laughs> 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 portion of my life
0: yeah yeah so. no i'm me me neither i'm glad that i have like settled into a place but i do wonder sometimes like if i was out and i like some circumstance in my life changed or something, like, could someone throw that all up in the air for me again? I have no idea. What kind of success did you have with your style blog? Like, tell me about it. Like, what was the trajectory there?
2: So during college, it was just kind of something I did on the side because I was in school full time. So like, I would post here and there, and I would post, I think, kind of more of what I started to do after I had gotten all of my like success and larger, you know, accolades, whatever, um, and I wasn't even that big of a blogger. I I just want to preface this is just kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not like one of those ones with like tons of thousands of followers or whatever. I uh, I've always been like a micro kind of. I don't even want to call myself an influencer because I don't. I don't think I. <laughs> I, I don't think I am. <laughs> Um, Not that there's anything wrong with being an influencer. I just – I don't think that I am. I don't know. At least not in the traditional way that people influence today.
0: Yeah, but don't you think that's lame? So, you know, my other podcast, The Department. I love it. Oh, good. You listen. So I'm editing the episode that's going to come next week about Chugi, And by the time this interview comes out, this this episode will already be out. So I'm not, like, spoiling it. But one thing I talk about is how Instagram itself – is chuggy? If you really believe in chuggy, which is basically like I don't oh, know, chuggy is like yeah. out of trend, like, but in a really specific like millennial way, right? And uh, yeah, I was talking about how the I think influencers, as we know them to be right now in 2021, are also chuggy, um, because I think that at the core of chuggy yeah. is actually sort of. Or the use of the term chuggy is saying like this was the old way we were doing things, the old way we were using social media, this like very consumerism focused lifestyle which millennials have had. Yeah. And it's saying like that's over. It's chuggy. Like we're embracing this new way forward. And like I said, influencers are chuggy too as they exist right now because it's like, hey, swipe up and buy this thing from Amazon or here's this weird tooth wiper thing I'm doing. Or it's just like constantly selling you stuff. Yeah. I've done a tooth whitening thing. Yeah. which Did you do the one that glows in your mouth? Have you seen that one? <laughs> oh, no.
2: No way was I cool enough for that. I was not big enough for that. Um. <laughs> I did this one. It was actually really cool. Um, but it really hurt my teeth. I'm not going to say it because I feel like if you could, you could probably go back into my blog and find it. Um <laughs> It was cool and it really worked, but it did hurt my teeth. But it was cool because, like, you send in a mold of your teeth and then they send it back to you. But, uh-huh. like, again, it wasn't authentic to me because I didn't regularly use teeth whiteners. The most I'd ever done was Crest White Strips in high school and college. Right. So it's not – I was like, oh, okay, you want to send this to me for free and I'll do a blog post? Sure. I did a lot of that stuff after college when I was trying to start to build up my blog. Um, and I that was another par- a part of my – life. And especially as a blogger, I was like, this is inauthentic to me, but I feel like this is what I should be
0: doing. So this is what I'm going to do. I remember when influencing – saying that is a word and effort <laughs> was really funny. I remember when influencing was first beginning to come up, which would have been like when you were in college yeah. and it was like actually providing like an income and a, right. a career for so many – That's what I thought was so cool. Yeah. For young women, right? Who were like, I'm going to – I'm going to choose my own path. Like, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. I love this. You know, like, I'm really supportive of it. And I want to support people who are doing that. And then over time, it shifted. And it became a lot less cool. And it became a lot, I don't know, like.
2: I mean, it gets old being, like, told to buy stuff on their websites or on Instagram. Every single day of your life, every time you log on. It's exhaust it gets old. I it, it got old for me personally, even selling stuff to people. I was like, I'm sure. Oh, I'm I'm not even I'm not buying all this stuff. Why why am I telling you to do this? Yeah. It's just yeah. Makes sense to me. Or like I know about some bloggers, like when the Nordstrom sale what is that? The end of summer. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. The like um the Anniversary yes, Anniversary yes. sale. Yes. <laughs> That's, like, a big thing. I know some bloggers, like, uh, they would buy stuff, keep the tags on. And these are bigger bloggers, like, way bigger than me, too. They would keep the tags on, shoot the outfits, return the items. And I know that's a normal thing with a lot of people. But that's the first time. I think 2017 was when I first heard that people I knew were doing that. I was like, what? That is crazy. Everything that I post, I purchased. Did I wear it afterwards? Not always. And that's one of my um, things that I feel very bad about as far as when I was in that kind of bloggers blogosphere thing, like, cause you constantly needed to have new items to post because with fast fashion, those items go on sale in like two weeks. So it's like, you have to post it on your blog a couple of days after you buy it. Otherwise it's going to be on sale and it's going to be hard for, you won't get as big of a commission off of your website when they click on the link. And it'll be on sale, so it'll sell out. So, like, it's – you click on the link, you won't get – it doesn't matter because you can't purchase the item that I'm wearing. Right, right. So it's, like, a constant content keeping up.
0: It's exhausting. You know, it's interesting that – I mean, I knew that influencers would buy stuff and return it or, like, there were some who would literally uh, just go into fitting rooms, take the photo, and then, like, Photoshop the fitting mm-hmm. room out of it. So I already knew that. But I don't think <laughs> I ever really sat down and thought what I just thought when you were talking about that, which is, okay, so influencers are there telling you, maybe not explicitly telling you, but very heavily influencing you to go buy stuff yeah. that they themselves would not actually buy. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty chuggy right there, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah. And about after a year into that, that's kind of when I started to find that stuff out. I was like, "Uh, what? No, this is, are you, why are you doing, like, what are you doing? Why, why are we doing any of this? It just feels, because like when you're on the other side, um, consuming these people's (sighs) blogs, you're like, wow, this is so cool. It feels so authentic and real because it's a real person. You know, it's not like, I mean, I'm an actor, but I'm not, like, a famous actor that has a blog on the side. You know, like, it's not, like, some celebrity or someone famous or, you know, someone that you know from TV or whatever having a blog. It's, like, someone who had, you know, regular corporate nine-to-five or still does and does this blog on the side, so it feels, like, authentic and, like, a real person. But once you kind of peel off that facade of, oh, well, actually, none of this is real. It's all a, a... just beautiful Mirage that they're faking and creating mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: it's kind of like oh this is very consumerism capitalist yeah this is a nightmare please I would like to wake up now
0: <laughs> yeah it's not mm-mm. so you eventually hit that wall where you were just like I'm I'm over it right mm-hmm. um, when was that 2014 15 and 16 I was in college. Mm-hmm.
2: 2016, I moved to Chicago, Um, like, and then five days later, um, the uh, previous president was
0: elected. It was very (laughs) That is a, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Too upsetting.
2: (laughs) I don't either. I can't even say his name. I know, me neither. Me neither. It's, like, Um, triggering for me. (laughs) I can't. My my chest is even starting to get tight. Yeah, yeah. um, so that was kind of a wild ride, too. I feel like that probably has something to play in with it. I think for
0: all of us. Um, I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. I was like, whew, okay. Welcome to uh, being an adult. Wow, this is... ripped the bandit off real fast. Okay. Um, and then that's kind of when I started to be like, okay, you should try and do this full time so you cannot have a part-time day job where you're making no money and actually be able to have a flexible schedule for my acting so I can, you know, blog and then audition and rehearse and go to class, you know, whatever. Um, So I started to really put a lot of effort into it. And that, like, 2017, 2016, and that's actually when I was starting to make a nice little extra amount of money. Um, not enough to sustain my life, but it was a nice extra amount. Um, you know, enough that I had to do the whole, like, um, Oh, what is it? I had to put it on my taxes. I made enough money that I had to be like, Oh, this is how much I made from this this year. Yeah, Wow. Um, that's, that's
0: <laughs> a, big deal. That's a big, big deal.
2: Yeah. So it, it was somewhere in between like not making enough to sustain myself, but act, but making a nice extra amount to add on with my part time jobs, and I had some acting jobs at the time too. So like, it was doing okay. And then like, it was 2018, beginning of that year. I was just that was kind of when I was starting to feel really burnout. I was you know blogging all the time. It was like doing a blog is a lot of work. Um, I would just like to preface um, if anyone out there is thinking about starting one it it can be fun but it also is a lot of work and it takes a, like if you don't already know how to do a lot of the computer stuff or the you know tech stuff it's a lot a big learning curve so I feel like that's kind of what the first two years I spent was just like learning stuff and then you know the tech changes so fast too 2018 I was starting to just in general I was overworking myself trying to do three to four blog posts a week I was in multiple shows at the time. I was in classes, multiple class, like acting classes at the time. I also had a part time job. So I was just like, I never gave myself any time to, re- you know, just be a person and relax. And it was just really starting to wear my mental health and physical health. So I slowed down a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean like, a hair it was not I should have done more but um (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) by May of that year I was like okay this is I need to take a step back and reevaluate a few things and what I want to do with my life going forward so I think that's kind of where my journey started to where I am now um and it's you know I mean it's all intrinsically linked like every part is linked to my life too so it's just like Okay, you got to work on getting my physical health in order. You know, mental health start going to like therapy and stuff, trying to find the elusive work-life balance. Um, I would say it's especially hard it was especially hard for me and it's still, I mean, not so much right now with um, living at home and during the pandemic. Um, my acting has taken a, a backseat. Um, which has actually been kind of nice. It's given me room to rest that muscle because I've been pushing that since I was in college. So being able to rest that part a little bit has been nice. But, you know, you're trying to be an actor. You're trying to get stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing classes and shows. And then you also have to work to sustain yourself. So you're working, you know, one, two, even some people, even more jobs at a time. Trying to balance everything—it's a lot. So, yeah, it um, is. It is Try Yeah, that's just what I've been working on the last three, two, three years—is figuring out how to do this long term. Mm-hmm. Not just—I don't mean blogging, but I will have it for a while longer. I think um, I like where I'm, what I'm doing now. Um, I just mean as far as that, because ultimately my goal is to act full time. Yeah, that has yeah. to sustain. To be able to sustain my lifestyle and my life, take care of myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, man, I have so many thoughts on like how we tend to overdo it and overcommit ourselves. (laughs) And yeah, um, it's like a, Problem I myself have as well. Right. I still do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be. I'm, yeah.
2: You're still just overworking yourself.
0: Yeah. It's hard. It's really, really hard. But so I think, I think your current incarnation is really it's it's like such a <laughs> transformation right like like talking about going back to that instagram post where yeah. someone was like oh my god it's like she came to life In one picture you're like all preppy and subdued and the next one you're literally wearing like a legally blonde pink suit it's incredible <laughs> um
2: literally everything on my person was which pink. i approve of
0: as <laughs> pink is my favorite color to wear um it's like my po- power Same. color i feel like Me
1: too. um good
0: glad to hear that pink gets a bad rap and i don't <laughs> like it um and yeah, I'm here to change that. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. Let's. <laughs> we're seeing right now – I'm going to get like really philosophical all of a sudden. But uh, I feel like we <laughs> – and I hope this isn't like delusional of me. We're seeing a transformation for a lot of us in terms of like our relationship with our ourselves, our style, and what we buy and, you know, what we don't mm-hmm. buy. I think it's like – I think it's not – It's starting. It's spreading. I think it's going to get a lot bigger. I hope that the reopening of the United States doesn't turn this backwards because I think this is like a global thing that we're all like working on. That's my biggest fear (sighs) about the reopening. Me too. I see so many – I think that's why I'm so nervous. I think so too. I actually am going to tell you I have had a lot of – Anxiety lately that usually I can like pinpoint a source of it. I can be like, oh, I'm anxious because I have all this stuff to do, or I'm anxious because I had this weird conversation with someone, or I'm, you know, I'm anxious about money, whatever. It's just this anxiety that like I can't pin on an exact source. And I really feel that it is like when I sit down and really think about it, it's because it's my fear that we're going to move backwards.
2: Yeah. I think, I think I felt that way too. I've just had an undiscernible. Amount of anxiety from that, I think too. I think that's a good way to, yeah, put that. right. And it's like
0: for me, and and I, I'm sure for you as well. Like the last year has been this radically transformative experience, yeah. <laughs> um, where I have just had a chance to reflect on things and think about my priorities, and like my whole life is totally different than it was, you know, a year, fourteen months ago, in a good way, um, and. I don't want us to, like, forget about everything we have learned in the last year and just go back to, like, buying tons of dumb clothes and, like, going to brunch all day and just, like, not giving a fuck, which is where a lot of people were before. And so I have this, like, anxiety about it all the time. (laughs) But I am choosing to say, no, I'm going to keep fighting the fight. I know so many other people are in – along for the ride, right? We're all in it to win it. And so – We – if we don't give up and feel defeated and let, like, anxiety destroy us, which is hard, uh, we we will (laughs) see these changes stick and they will just be the beginning of all the changes to come. So that's what I'm trying to tell myself whenever I'm starting to feel that, like, gnawing anxiety.
2: Yeah. I hope for that too. I feel similar. I hope – that's my hope and my, like, outward, you know, sort of, like – thought that I want to put out there, you know? What is that um, – what is that word when you're just like – oh, gosh. When you're like trying to make something come to fruition and you think it over
0: and over again or like – Oh, manifesting. Oh, manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's a really great idea though to like manifest the belief that we can change, that yeah. things are going to be better instead of like letting anxiety – I don't know. Like I, I grew up in an environment where, like, my mom was very much, and like my family in general was like, the world is unfair. It sucks. You just have to accept it. And I feel like when you have that kind of attitude, you're actually manifesting yeah. that yeah. the world sucks, and you should just get used to it. And so maybe instead of us fretting silently, or now you know together aloud as we are about the world going back, things getting worse instead of better, we have to believe that we have the power to make things better. And it, that yeah. will be true. I right. mean, it can't hurt, you, Yeah, right? it can't
2: hurt to try. Right? <laughs> My mom's always like, just do your best. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good, you know, just do your best, do everything you can. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, that's all you got. That's all you have. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all you exactly. can do.
0: <laughs> So I feel like what you're doing right now is really indicative of what I hope is this new era in terms of personal style because I think a lot of the belief out there is first off like the only way clothes can be sustainable is if they're brand new, which we know is actually not as Mm -hmm. sustainable as wearing secondhand. And there's also this idea that like, well, but secondhand clothes aren't as cute. Right, unless they're like luxury or vintage. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> I know, I know exactly. No, 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 guys,
2: come on. I know. My dream
0: is like at our first Clothes horse event. I want to have an entirely secondhand fashion show and be like, look. Oh my god! Wouldn't that be so fun? Anyway, that would be so. It's fun. coming. I promise. I'm just waiting to make sure the pandemic Yay. is like chilling for sure. You know.
2: I know. That's yeah. It's hard to. It's been hard to plan like travel or do like anything. I know.
0: I know. So it's like, we don't know where we're going to be. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. But I promise we're all (laughs) going to do that together sometime in the hopefully not distant future. But so you're (laughs) saying like, you're redefining that. You're saying like, hey, guess what? These clothes are secondhand. I mean, you literally made a dress out of like old justice and limited to t-shirts, which most people would look at and be like, that's garbage, mm. right? They would skip through that in the thrift store, <laughs> um, which is sad because they're treasure. Um, but you're saying like, hey, you can be stylish. You don't have to just wear like expensive hemp smocks or what, you know, a lot of people hear sustainability and that's what they think. Like it's like a weird neutral tone, amorphous, uninteresting uniform. And actually yeah. it's almost a greater creative expression than just going out and buying an outfit.
2: Yeah. And I think with that too, I feel like that goes hand in hand with zero waste and like minimalism. I think that's kind of where all that, that like beige, simple, clean cut things come from. Like, it's like, Oh, I want to be sustainable or zero waste. Well, it's all like this plain stuff. And I think that's cool like, I like people's aesthetics that are like that. I just, it's not the only thing that's out there when it comes to that. And that's kind of what one of the things that I want to say is. It's like, look, you can be that way, which is cool. But you don't have to be. You can also do this, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I made that L Woods set out of my childhood bedsheet.
0: What?! Like it's not wow, yeah. <laughs> so good! Oh my god, it's so good! I would have never guessed. I was just thought you had a really lucky day thrifting. No, nope. amazing.
2: I my mom was cleaning out the linens and was like, "Hey, what from this pile do you want?" I was like, "Yeah, this, this, this."
0: <laughs> so that's yeah. so cool. Um, yeah, so you're you're like taking things that most people would, you know, not even. Look at a second time and you're showing how unique and stylish and creative and sustainable it can be. And I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we we need more of that, you know? I get so excited every time you have a new post because I'm like, oh, what's she going to do today? <laughs> what's she going to make? Like the limited to t-shirt dress, I mean, it just like blew my mind. I was thinking about it all day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I was just like, what an homage to a special time. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm obsessed with this idea of us like going to the thrift store or wherever we buy our secondhand clothes and not specifically looking for vintage or luxury or whatever, mm-hmm. but like actually being mindful of the potential of everything that's in there, you know? So.
2: Yeah. And I think that's like uh, the my, the place that I started – when I was restarting, you know, thrifting and like lowering my waist and stuff, particularly with clothes, you know, that's like for me, the biggest waste personally. Um, and I think for a lot of people, but when I first started, you know, I was thrifting for like regular stuff or like, you know, cool vintage items for myself or whatever. Uh, and then I kind of started doing vintage for my Etsy shop. And then I think now from like now moving forward is, excuse me, similar to what, um, Like you were saying, taking things that are cool or like, well, I don't really know what to do with this Mm -hmm. or like seeing the potential in something that someone else may overlook rather than, since I have that skill and I want to, and that's why I want to share it with other people. I want people to, I mean, I want to make money from this. Obviously I want people to shop my store, but (laughs) I also want to be like, Hey, if you can't do this, I can do it for you. Or... That's what I try to do with my blog and like, you know, Instagram, like reels and TikToks and stuff, like show ways of doing things, even yourself. I think last week I had a blog post that was like simple upcycles you can do yourself, which is basically, you know, just like cutting things or adding new buttons to something, hemming if you do have sewing skills. If not, I've in college, I hand hemmed multiple dresses. Did it take hours? Yes, but it
0: was done (laughs) and it looked fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're showing the easy stuff too, because I think some people, you know, a lot of people don't know how to sew, right? How would you rate your sewing skills on one to 10? 10 being like, you're a pro, you know how to use a serger, all that stuff. And one being like, you can do a hem. I would say probably higher
2: up. I I mean, I can use a serger. That's what I do. And it's like I made something earlier today and I was like, wow, this like is so much better than when I started. (laughs) Well, it takes
0: practice, (laughs) right? But I think people, they're like sewing. That's intimidating. There's no way I could like alter my own clothes or find something from the thrift and upcycle it into a more ideal garment or whatever. Like it's just so intimidating. And so I like that you show a mix of things. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're you're yeah. showing like, just cut the sl- the weird bell sleeves off of the sweatshirt or whatever, or like, look, I made a whole dress out of t-shirts. I mean, that's like a big project, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, I couldn't have done that a year ago, you know. Like, and that's kind of, I think, it's the why I've kind of come full circle is like, those are all the things that I've kind of always wanted to do, like even since I was a kid, but I just. You know, once... Well, for one, when I was a kid, I was too young to know how to do a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, you didn't have the resources and stuff. But now that I am where I am now, I'm like, this is kind of like where I had always kind of wanted to be and do. So it feels really good to be able to do it and that other people, you know, enjoy it, find, like, happiness in it, just seeing it online or you know inspiration or pr- even purchasing it i know one of my friends i posted like another limited two dress that i made and one of my friends bought it like right away <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome so, i mean there's a market for it yeah. also like like you said when we started our conversation so many of these things like limited t- two shirts are in landfills right now you know? know and it makes me sad because that's yeah they have not only is it wasteful right but they have they mm-hmm. have value to people. It has potential. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And that means a lot. Like, um, and that's, I think, why I'm kind of right now focusing a lot on the T-shirts, just because, like, there's just such oh, an my. overabundance of T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone loves T-shirts. T- They're so comfortable. And, you know, just bringing new life to ones that, like, you know, like, am I going to wear an Abercrombie graphic tee? No. I'm not. I'm not 13 anymore. That's not my style. But <laughs> would it be cool, like, sewing them together as a skirt on the bottom of a T-shirt dress that I've been making? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. They're in the dryer right now.
1: <laughs>
2: so. That's awesome. Um, I th- I think just things are, like, especially, like, in particular with that kind of stuff and the um, limited to thing, I just – I personally have just been – really enjoying and leaning into that nostalgia mm-hmm. um just because it it's my childhood and it makes me you know like us think about a simpler time it makes me happy and it's you know that was the time the last time since you know you hit like middle school when you're trying to look like everyone else that's the last time that I got to like express myself the way that I wanted to through clothes and then now I feel like that's kind of I'm where I'm back to again, mm-hmm. kind of like full circle like I was mentioning. Because, um, yeah, you just go through dif- trying different things and trying to fit in and being like, well, this is what I think I should be doing. And this is what I feel I should be doing. But it's not – it may work and it's fine, but it's not actually you. Right, right.
0: No, I think that – like I said, I think we're all on a journey to figure that out. You know, I think that yeah. all of the like trends and influencers and, you know, blogs and even magazines, sometimes they make it hard to figure out who you are and what's what you mm-hmm. really want to wear and be. I think at least it's just like so much noise and you're like, oh, maybe I do yeah. like cut out dresses. You know, maybe I do. Yeah, because
2: they're just kind of telling you what yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. Also, I'm a kind of person – I'm an Aries, so I'm like, no, you don't tell me what to do. No, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do what I want. Um, I know everyone's not everyone's like that, which is fine, but that's how I am, and that's, my, that's how I live uh, and dress authentically. So I think just figuring out
0: what's most authentic to you is what's most important. I agree. I think that's a great place to end our conversation because that's not so <laughs> wise. Usually I ask, like, do you have any final thoughts or advice? But you just gave it. That's <laughs> perfect. I'm a giver. You're a giver. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you. This was so lovely. Thank you so much, Maggie, for taking the time to talk to me. And you, yes, you can find Maggie on Instagram as Ogera. I'll share that information in the show notes, but you should go check out all of the cool stuff she's working on. It's really exciting. And plus, you have to see the clothes she's been making out of Limited Two t shirts. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm building an episode, which is how I look at it building, I'm kind of constructing it out of all these pieces. I wonder if the guest will be disappointed to find that their super fun, insightful conversation is preceded by some kind of doom and gloom report from me, which happens a lot. And I'm sure, I'm sorry, I apologize to all of you guests (laughs) for harshing your mellow. But as I was putting this episode together, I realized that the theme of the whole thing, this whole episode, is the impact that an individual can have on the world around us. In my segment about the Uyghurs, I asked you to join together to contact your representatives about expanding the human rights policy within the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. I also asked you, you specifically, to share your knowledge with the people around you. And Maggie and I explored the impact that she and really all of us including you, have on the others in our lives when it comes to style, shopping, and consumption? I mean, how many of you have felt as if you needed going out clothes? I, I, we, we gotta have an Instagram conversation about the phenomenon of the sexy going out, cami. <laughs> but these are all things that we did because we were influenced by someone else in our lives to do it. We're all influencers. Our actions can inspire others to make changes and do good things. It can also inspire the others in our lives to buy a sexy going out cami. That's just how it works. We're social people, but we can harness that and use it to our advantage to make amazing things happen. Our actions can inspire others to make changes and do good things. If a friend sees you shopping secondhand first and bragging about it, which you should, it encourages them to do the same thing. Then their friends and family see them bragging about it, and they start shopping secondhand first too. It normalizes shopping secondhand. And I I think a lot about the power of social media in our lives. Certainly, as I discussed with Maggie, it has been used to get us to buy all kinds of stuff that we didn't need. But I also believe that we can harness that same power, that same individual influence and community to get people to buy less stuff and take more control of what's happening around us. Another example is that you can brag on social media about taking political action, like contacting your representative about human rights policy. Other people are going to see you do that, and they're going to be interested too. Or you can tell the world that you no longer use plastic water bottles, or you no longer buy shoes from Nike, or even just telling everyone that you're never going to throw your clothes in the trash anymore. This has impact. That's the genius behind collective action. As more people participate, even more people are motivated. This week, I was on Facebook checking out some yard sales like I do. I have to mention again, the yard selling out here is amazing. And I came across a post about K-Cups in my old neighborhood group in Philly. K-Cups are these little disposable plastic single-serving coffee cups. You've totally seen them. You like stick them in you like drop a lever and it makes you one cup of coffee. And I'm going to be honest, they're terrible for the planet. We know that most plastic doesn't get recycled in the first place. Think about all those K-cups. They're not getting recycled. Even the inventor regrets creating them. In 2014 alone, there were enough K-cups being tossed in landfills to wrap around the world 12 times. Those cups aren't that big. That's a lot of cups. Someone in this Facebook group commented, don't use K-cups. You know, they're like bad for the planet. They don't get recycled, blah, blah, blah. And someone else swooped in to say, what does it matter? The world is doomed and the impact of one person will never keep up with the impact of big companies. Use as many K-cups as you want. You know, I I get that feeling. I have it a lot actually. I'm I'm sure you do too. I mean, cuz like how can one person's use of tiny plastic coffee cups change anything except you get a whole world of people using tiny plastic coffee cups and they wrap around the world 12 times. Think about all that plastic, think about all the resources used to make that plastic, think about them in the landfill, leaching all their horrible chemicals into everything. That's what happens. That's bad collective action. That's the collective action of using K-Cups. We don't want that. We want the good collective action. But I know it can feel like you're the only person who cares. How can re-wearing your clothes have an impact on the planet when your co-workers are ordering new stuff from Zara every week? Well, I would say that's why you need to get them to stop ordering from Zara every week. How can your shopping secondhand keep up with the 1 billion garments Amazon sold last year? Ah, this is a great time for you to post on Instagram or Twitter or just have a conversation with a friend where you say, did you know that Amazon is the number one retailer of clothing in the United States and they somehow sold 1 billion garments last year? Here are all the bad things about Amazon. Here's why we shouldn't shop from them. Here's why fast fashion is bad. Or, Post yourself in a sick secondhand outfit or an outfit repeat and say, hashtag fuck Amazon or whatever, because that's going to have impact on the people around you. I'm here to tell you, you can have an impact as an individual. You do have an impact as an individual. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Hi, my name is Amanda McCarty and I write, record, host, edit, do all the things for Close Horse Podcast. I am one person and I know because I hear from you that my work, the knowledge I've shared, the research I've done, it's impacted you. I know that it has made you change your behaviors and have conversations with your friends and family. I'm one person and I this one person sitting in a weird office in a kind of kind of humid farmhouse in Lancaster County I inspired you to think about so many things differently. When I started close horse, I didn't know a thing about the weaker Muslims. Now I feel as if, you know, I could have a pretty persuasive conversation with someone for at least 30 minutes. I would, I would say probably 45 if I really, you know, hydrated beforehand. And that would make them realize that this is a situation that requires their care and action. It took hours and hours and hours of reading and research to get here, but it's worth it to me. And you're hearing me talk about this stuff, and you're thinking about it too. And you're telling people around you. And that, my friend, is the magic, the power of one person. You have that power. We all do. Yes, it takes time. And I mean time in all caps with like 10 eyes just spreading out across the page. It takes time to see change play out. And I don't know about you, but I'm a very impatient person. But I'm in it for the long term. I don't want to give up because without us, nothing changes. I look at my life so far and I spend so much time being quiet about it because I figured, what could I do? But you know what? We're coming up against a lot of things that need to be changed. Let's work together and let's show the rest of the world that one person can have an impact. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and, of course, tell your friends. And if you like the work I'm doing here, I'm not annoying you too much, please consider supporting me via Patreon. You'll find out more at patreon.com slash podcast, or you can send a one-time contribution via Venmo to at crystal underscore visions. Thank you to all of you who support me constantly. I love hearing from you. I love seeing you share our content on Instagram. And I just love knowing that you're out there listening. It gets me up out of bed every day. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Department. We're doing all kinds of cool stuff right now. I'm really excited about it. It's a delight to work on. And thanks as always to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.